0: bad and bo- Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy podcast. I'm Erin. I'm Erica. Erica, I'm so happy to be back with you.
1: I think people thought we were fighting.
0: That's what you keep telling me. And On the one hand, I believe that. And on the other hand, I think that's bullshit because very obviously on Twitter, we haven't been fighting.
1: Yeah, but you know how people are. They don't put everything together, you know.
0: If anything, we've been fighting with David.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. We gang up on David.
0: In the group chat, on the podcast, on Twitter, you know. Well,
1: it's true because I resent him for this pumpkin spice latte business. I really
2: do. (laughs) <laughs> they're actually really good. I'm sorry, but they are very, they're tasty. Absolutely not. <laughs> no! <laughs> no, it's, a, it's a no for me.
0: <laughs> uh, but Erica, we are joined today by someone else who likes ganging up on David on the internet.
1: <laughs> Yay! It's in <laughs> club.
0: And that is our Alberta slash conservative correspondent, Kristen
2: weh <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Even though I already ruined it with my pumpkin spice latte take, so that's fine. You know, listen,
0: I'm basic like that. I'm basic like that. Share what's in your heart. It's because, well, one is because you live in Alberta, but two, share what's in your heart. <laughs> wow, already right
2: out listen, the gate.
0: It's been a few weeks and just coming out real hot.
1: You're, 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 you got that big dick energy going on. <laughs>
0: I don't know, I had a good sleep, I'm not sure. Whatever. Telling you.
1: <laughs> BDE in the house. So,
0: <laughs> so we are obviously gonna be talking about Alberta's new premier today, and then we're gonna keep it going on the West Coast and talk about the fuckery happening in the BC NDP party. Um, so that's our focus for today. But in the meantime, uh, make sure you are fully subscribed to the podcast badandbitchy.com so that you get access to our full episodes of the podcast. Yes, we have been putting out some free episodes where you've been getting the full episode, but you know we're back into our regu- regular groove. And so we're going to be coming back to the preview and then the full pod for paying subscribers. So badandbitchy.com to hit that up. And of course... Make sure you renew your subscription because Erica, we've been in a subscription model for just over a year now. This is our first renewal season. Yeah. So if you subscribed last September or October or coming up sometime later this fall, make sure you renew your subscription because you're going to be missing out on content.
1: And let's be real. Let's be honest. Have you seen the content that's out there? It's not great. So you might as well pay for us.
0: Yeah. And I'm and the get one real, the
1: Yeah. You get the BDE. You get to like you channel your rage. You get to- well,
2: support And support women talking about politics for once. So it's not just a bunch of white dudes having a conversation about politics. It's nice to actually have women's voices. And So
0: Erica, your column this week in the Hill Times, you wrote about the Edmonton police using unverified technology to target the city's Black community and she has an unpaywalled version on her website, mycolor.com. For me, uh, nothing has really been going on the past week, but I've written about the AI, I can't believe I'm saying these words, the AI rapper who was basically digital blackface. I wrote that in Billboard, a couple other pieces in the Vancouver Tech Journal. And I do have a profile coming out shortly, the cover story for the fall edition of the Bay Street Bull. So keep an eye out for that. Yeah, Kristen, anything you want to
2: promote? I did a piece a little while ago for the line on Hockey Canada, which is still relevant as Hockey Canada continues to be terrible um, about how we need to change the culture of hockey and address the actual systemic cultural problems associated with hockey, as opposed to just thinking that we can get rid of the executive in Hockey Canada and then be done with it. On that note, let's get into it.
0: Alberta has a new premier. Danielle Smith was sworn in as Alberta's new premier last week and actually won the leadership of the United Conservative Party on October 6th. And so in the leadership race, she captured 53.77% of the vote on the sixth ballot. And I think people were anticipating that it would go, would have been decided much earlier. Travis Taves came in second with 46.23%. And her opposition, the provincial NDP, which is still led by Rachel Notley, is evidently hoping to capitalize on a very polarizing UCP leader in the next election, which is coming up in 2023. So I believe that's in
1: May, right? May 2023? Yeah. Yeah. May 28th. May 28th, 2023, which means Kristen will be back in June. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, back till then? That's rude not till then. I'm just, I'm just putting that as a marker.
0: (laughs) So like I mentioned, Danielle Smith has been premier for as of recording three days and, you know, she's following closely in the dismal steps of UK prime minister, Liz Truss. And, (laughs) uh, you know, at a news conference on Tuesday after her swearing in. So literally Moments after she became premier, she went on about uh, one of her key topics which is the terrible abuse and prejudice endured by the poor souls who chose not to get vaccinated during the pandemic. She has since apologized for these comments and lost in the maelstrom caused by these comments was the fact that at the exact same news conference she backed down on one of the most Incendiary elements of her campaign, which was her proposed Sovereignty Act, which she said would empower her government to ignore federal edicts deemed not to be in Alberta's best interests. And since then, chaos has ensued, which has resulted in Erica getting blocked by her. <laughs> and, you know, Erica kind of wears these as a little badge of honor. She's like, wow, that was faster than I anticipated. Uh, So she loves being blocked by odious people.
1: Listen, I am blocked by the fucking
0: crash of society.
1: Like, Ezra Levant blocked me. I didn't even have a blue check then, and he blocked me. Look, Danielle Smith, Ezra Levant, the rest of these fucks are fragile people, and they don't like to be challenged, which is Canada in a nutshell, to be honest. So, anyway, go on, Aaron.
0: I mean, that's really about it, you know? Kristen, what's what's kind of the feeling in
2: Alberta right now? It's not like it was a surprise that she won. I think it was a surprise that she, I think a lot of people thought she would run on the first or second ballot. So the fact that it went to six ballots was surprising for a lot of folks. Um, and the strong showing from Taves, I think shows that there is, um, I wouldn't say moderate, cause he's not a moderate conservative either, but there is a sort of like, Kenny group of folks who really wanted to continue on that road so there is some division I'm sure in the party she's also come out in the last couple days and basically given out her campaign strategy saying that in the next election all they really need to do is win rural Alberta and maybe a couple seats in Calgary and they'll win so she's already basically told half of her Calgary caucus I don't care about you and I don't care about your seat um, and I don't need you to win, so have fun with that, urban Calgary MLAs. So she's she's already been very clear about where she's going to go, and so I think for people like myself who live in in Edmonton and people in Calgary, I don't feel like I don't think we're going to see ourselves reflected very much within her cabinet and with within the the positions that she's going to take. She's going to be governing for rural Alberta, and because the way our system works is forty one of our seats are in rural Alberta, almost all of which are currently UCP seats and will likely remain UCP seats going into the next election. So she's made it very clear that those are the people that she cares about. And so her budget and her platform and the things that she brings in will not be reflective of the urban population, despite the fact that the vast majority of people who live in Alberta live in either Edmonton or Calgary or sort of the broader greater areas around Edmonton and Calgary.
0: And so would you say that that probably very closely aligns with her comments regarding
2: vaccination? 100%. Like it's, that is where you saw a lot of pushback even from the beginning of COVID. Cause in, I mean, what I've, I've made this point a couple of times is I, what I find ironic is Ford and the Go had harder COVID restrictions than we did here, but they both won re-election. However, in Alberta, you had this very strong rural contingent that felt like they should have different rules. So when the blanket restrictions came in, they felt like they should not have to deal with that because of the smaller population and the rule capacity. And blah, blah, blah. So they they were one of the biggest pushers to get Kenny out. And now with Smith, she's she's also running in a by-election in a rural riding that's going to be in the beginning of November in Brooks Medicine Hat. So that's, those are the people and the issues that she's speaking to. It's the same thing when she went on about I can't remember exactly the specifics, but like the Trudeau government was going to make us eat bugs or like ruin our fertilizer and all this other stuff. Like she's really buying in to that rural misinformation around uh, Trudeau and the liberals and the issues. Like she's running more against Trudeau at this point than she is against Rachel Bobby. Hmm.
0: That's really interesting. I feel like that's kind of what's going on in the rest of the country too, in terms of um, provincial elections, right? Like it's a lot of, anti-mandate, anti-establishment government, specifically Trudeau. And I think that there's a benefit to a lot of Canadians not entirely understanding the division of
2: powers between those governments. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I do think it's interesting though, that when you go, when you look at Ontario, like Doug Ford made a big thing about like his deep friendship with Christia Freeland and they called each other all the time and they were like this. And he did not run an anti-Trudeau campaign, so it's just it's very interesting the juxtaposition. Because if you had told me four years ago that Doug Ford would win a second majority government and Jason Kenney would be out as premier, I would not have believed you. So it's been it's an interesting. I think Alberta has is a very interesting test case that way in terms of how those two people succeeded or didn't succeed in their political careers when they really did. Like again, Ford did more in terms of restrictions. Like you guys couldn't even walk your dogs without like permission, basically, or go to playgrounds or things like that. So,
1: but at the same time, Ontario really didn't have a strong opposition. It still doesn't. what? Like,
2: I mean, you guys have at least you're you're giving people to run for mayors in other parts of your province. That's the benefit of the <laughs> official opposition.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. I like I I think I you know, it's funny because what I'm hearing is about the rural urban split. And it's no surprise and you know, in some cases the rural suburban urban split. And we have to look at who lives where, what their sort of occupations are, and how those occupations and industries have fared over time. One of the problems with the rural the reason we're seeing such a dust up in rural areas is because we're looking at places that have been, there's been divestment going on from those areas for decades. Um, When I wrote about, in the summer uh, after the Rogers outage, I wrote about um, digital accessibility or internet access, right? And the digital divide. And that is very much what I found that that is very much an economic issue because you had companies divesting from those areas through the influx of globalization and moving those, those um, processes and, 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 and tasks for efficiency, by the way, to other areas and, and redistributing man, um, manufacturing and agriculture what you're getting is a divestment from rural areas for decades. Same thing with small towns. And that divestment means that they don't have the resources for a lot of the things that they should have. So they don't have proper internet or internet costs a whole hell of a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So even that we know in the pandemic has become a huge issue is that digital access. That is basically an urban center. I mean, if you if you ride via, okay, Ottawa to Toronto, you're like, what the fuck is this 3G shit? Okay, or nothing at all. I'm like, and then I'm like, why can't VIA get their Wi-Fi right? Anyway, that's a whole nother story. But <coughs> what we're talking about is that, as you say, that critical infrastructure and 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 the social services. That are attached to those that infrastructure, the so or the social services that that infrastructure is attached to, or the industry that that infrastructure is attached to, and because that's not there, government's not investing there either. Because apparently we don't have a government anymore that is supposed to do for its people. Anyway, that's my spiel.
0: Yeah, and I think like even. Uh- in the Ottawa municipal election, we're seeing those same issues kind of borne out in terms of the suburban rural divide with the urban areas um, in terms of like cycling infrastructure and all of these things. And ultimately I think politicians in Canada, except I think conservative ones in the prairies are bad at speaking to rural populations. They're bad at understanding those issues because they they know that they well one they write them off as voters if they're liberals or NDPers like as a leader Uh, and two they just they just don't care to really understand them and it goes back to something that we talk about a lot Erica which is like this classist view that political leadership has in this country whereas those voters don't matter and they do and like every time gender-based analysis plus or whatever you want to call your your intersectional analysis, it needs to include an urban-rural assessment so that you know how things are going to affect different communities because policies and programs affect those communities differently. And if neither of them or one of them isn't being served, then there's a problem. And that's where that, that disaffection comes from.
1: We, let me just say this. We don't talk about policy in terms of, of communities, and policy is to serve communities, right? We talk about it as the individual. And to be honest, like, we need a real discussion about class in this country, because that, you know, where where those economic resources are distributed is a class issue. And so... Well, just, I mean,
2: going back to the Alberta example. So when the NDP were elected in 2015, one of the things that they brought in was uh, Bill Sticks, which was a Farm Bill Safety Act, which basically was looking at extending um, WCB to kids who worked on their parents' farms or people who worked on their, their friends' farms. And farmers hated it because it was bringing in much more financial burden to them I think the NDP thought, oh, well, we're doing this to help people, but it really didn't. And it wasn't done in consultation with farmers and it wasn't done in consultation with rural Alberta. And it was one, it was the first what was the problem really with it? big issue that the NDP had. There were huge protests outside of the legislature. And what was it really the problem didn't... with it though? It was that it was putting additional burden. So like if, if I work, if my family owns the farm and I want to go help out, they're going to have to then pay for insurance for me if I help out. That's just, like an administrative burden. Oh, is- I
1: see. I see. The administrative burden. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it.
2: Administrative burden and costs. Mm-hmm. So that was the first really big fuck up. With That the- is gover- how government does policy though. But, they but, look but at charts, shows- they
1: look at data, they're like, ooh, look. Da-da-da-da-da. And I'm just like, no, they don't actually go out and talk to people and they don't go and visit those communities that they're supposed
2: to serve. Well, and it goes back to what Aaron said, like it is about, it's about not understand, fundamentally not understanding what rural communities want and looking at your ideology and looking at everything through that ideology, which is what the NDP did. So that is in part, you know, cause in 2015, when they won, they won a significant amount of rural ridings, which was very surprising because this is Alberta, but they, those, those ridings were fucked from the minute that bill six came in, they were screwed in those ridings, and they knew that and the UCP want all of those ridings back. So what Danielle is doing now is the opposite almost of the way that the NDP administered government in that they are speaking only to this community. So it is going back to internet access. It's going back to those really grassroots issues that a lot of these communities care about that. The UCP has maybe not spoken to as much before Danielle, but the NDP also don't know how to speak to in a lot of ways because they don't care about these broad. Well, they care, but it's not like the biggest thing for them in terms of these broad social justice issues. They care about making sure that rural crime is taken care of, making sure that they don't have because there's a huge issue with rural crime in Alberta. So those kind of things, making sure that they can they can afford grain, they can afford to farm, they can aff- like all these different things that I think that the NDP in Alberta are unable to speak to. And unless they're able to speak to that, the UCP will absolutely win every single rural seat with the exception of two, because they, they, these people want to feel heard and they don't want to be spoken to. Like they're idiots just because they live in rural Alberta and they care about like things that maybe are not at the higher level of what uh, the left thinks that they should care about, if that makes sense. Well, on that note, Erica, it's
0: been a slice to be back with you.
1: I missed you, (laughs) Erin.
0: Not like we didn't talk on the phone like every day. (laughs) I know. I know. Oh, man. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having
1: me. I feel like Kristen got the the real bad and bitchy experience for the first time this
2: week. (laughs) I really did. I did. I'm glad. (laughs) So head over
0: to badandbitchy.com to become a full subscriber to re-up your subscription or to gift a subscription to a friend. We will be back, I guess, with Misogynist of the Week later this week. That's right. Which is free, so you're welcome in advance. I have ideas. (laughs) All right, Erica, I will talk to you later, Kristen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.